1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Corbett. Bar. And I've known of Corbett for a long time. He's a founder and CEO of Fizzle, if you've heard of that. He's been self employed for a very long time as a blogger, doing podcasting, online courses, different various business, online things. You know how this goes. But one of the things that really intrigued me is that I get Corbett's newsletter, and recently he was talking about digital house cleaning. Reevaluating his online presence and consolidating it into a new vision of what he wanted to do on the internet for the next decade. He's looking back at the last decade, basically getting off most social media, although not all of it. And we get into that as to which things he jettisons and which he keeps and why which content he's getting rid of and which he's keeping and why, and essentially just cleaning up his digital footprint to refocus, refine who he is moving forward now versus who he was this last decade and a half. So it's a really interesting conversation. This isn't just about, you know, pruning distractions, things like that. It's a it's a macro level thinking about yourself almost in a self-awareness way when it comes to digital online footprint and internet business and activity, et cetera. So I think you're going to really like this one. I know I had a great time talking with Corbett, so I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Corbett
0: Barr.
1: Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Corbett Barr. Corbett, welcome. Hey, Eric, thanks
0: so much for having me today.
1: Yeah. So let's see. I mean, we were talking pre show. We've known each other a, a little bit, you know, kind of mostly in passing. Uh, we've got mutual friends, things like that. I know you from back in the, the early fizzle days of, you know, walking around and, and doing stuff with, uh, NMX. And I, and I think, actually, I think that I sat across from Pat Flynn eating hot wings and in a Vegas. Something or other there, <laughs> and I think you were sitting down at the other end of the table with like Caleb and and uh, that Chase Reeves vaguely and, rings a bell. Yeah. yeah,
0: that sounds like fun.
1: And sitting there with Mike Vardy and all that, and it was a fun time. But I have um, admired from afar, let's put it that way, your digital online entrepreneurial lifestyle type stuff, and 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 not just. What you do, but how you do it, like you said you 've got this laid back style, and that 's what I really like and i 've been on your newsletter for a while now, and a couple months ago few, you know before you sent out the call, "Hey, I want to go on podcasts," you had sent out this newsletter post about basically reevaluating your online existence and this whole digital house cleaning initiative. I wonder if you could explain. One, what that is and kind of the initial steps as to what brought you to that thought process as somebody who's been an online creator for so long.
0: Well, I think that we all have kind of walked blindly into just accepting that we need to be on every platform possible, every social media channel possible especially if we are trying to earn a living online, you know, as a a podcaster, blogger, course creator, whatever it is, we just kind of have accepted as common wisdom that it's better to be all over the place than to not, right? Because there are opportunities, you know, from LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of these different things. And one day last year, I found myself kind of in a rut sort of repeating to my entrepreneurial friends the same line that I'd had for years about how I had too many projects on my plate. I felt like I wasn't getting a whole lot done. I didn't really know what I wanted my next steps to be and so on and so forth. And I started really diving into evaluate like where I was spending my time and where I was getting value from various things that I was doing. And in that process, I just found that when I really looked at it, and allowed myself to examine how I felt, it turns out that social media just was not a good return on my investment of time in a couple of ways. One, when I looked at the business results, I didn't see a whole lot of really specific, tangible business results there. And then secondly, just from an emotional and well-being standpoint, there were plenty of social platforms where I didn't feel better when I left those platforms after having spent you know minutes or hours of my time there than I did when I jumped into them each day and so as I looked at cutting things out so I could make some progress and move forward social media just became a a big target of mine and it wasn't only for those personal reasons of course a lot of us have um been following these issues of privacy and of mental health that, you know, especially younger people are going through with social media. And then you pile on the manipulation and business practices of a lot of these companies like Facebook and and others, uh, most of which was highlighted really well in the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. And you add up all those things. And for me, it just left me feeling like, why am I spending time here at all?
1: Yeah. People that listen to this show know that this is a topic that we've touched on here and there, and especially when it comes to, I mean, obviously the, the productivity through line is, is fairly obvious that when you're spending so much time on what is perceived as a, a value add of using social media, but then you're getting nothing from it, or at least very little, especially when it comes to the equation of how much time you're spending on it, then you have to call into question how valid that decision to continue using it really is.
0: Yeah, completely agree.
1: So I think, though, that uh, you didn't necessarily just jump off every platform, although you did leave some platforms, but you also decided to, let's say, curate let's say, massively curate what of your online content was going to still exist out there in the world, which a lot of people would say, well, wait, why would you do that? You know, SEO and, you know, people finding you and all these other kinds of, you know, arguments. One, what did you do specifically? And then what do you say to some of the people that have questions about that?
0: Yeah. So first of all, I deleted every social media post i had ever created on every platform I'd ever been on. Second of all, I closed every social media account that I had except for Twitter, and we can discuss that in Mm -hmm. a little bit. And then third, I went through and drastically pruned the content that I had published on other platforms, including videos on places like YouTube, blog posts that I had written for my own site and other sites and uh, podcast episodes and so on. And, you know, I would say in some cases, like on my personal website, I ended up deleting 90% of the blog posts that I had in my archives and essentially started over except for a handful of key pieces. And I would say that for most of us, okay, there, there are some people who love the idea of just having a complete record and archive of everything that you've ever published out there. But for me, being a bit of maybe like a neat Nick or an anal retentive type, having that out there, all of that old stuff started to just feel a little bit like baggage to me. And as I looked again at business results or traffic or whatever metrics you want to look at, I found that really there were about 10 or 15 different blog posts that were driving 90 percent plus percent of all of the search traffic. And there were a handful of others that I felt were important for one reason or another to leave up. Now, of course, I have the archives that I can look at anytime on my own personal machine. But I just started to feel like through this process of becoming an online person, having a digital representation of myself out there, we all have tried so many different things. We've said so many different things. And at the end of the day, a few of those things stick, and the vast majority of them are just kind of like trial and error that didn't catch on, that didn't seem to be valuable to anyone else. And I started to feel like I, I don't need to leave those things up there. I think it's, it's very unnatural for all of us as humans to now have every little utterance that we make available for the entire world to see for all time. And we haven't really gone into this with open eyes We've just started playing on all these platforms. I mean, think about when you first opened your Facebook account or your Instagram account or whatever, a lot of it was just on a whim. You probably thought, hey, everybody seems to be really excited about it. I want to go see what this is all about. And who knows, maybe I'll become overnight famous or whatever a lot of us get into these platforms with. And then we don't reevaluate our relationship to those platforms. And we don't consider that our participation in those platforms is really serving the platform more than it's serving us because Facebook is more than happy for us to keep all of that old content up there because somebody might look at it one day and they just want to have as much content and as many people as possible so that it continues to draw other people there. Your presence on the social media platforms is drawing other people who know you or who might be interested in something that you have to say there For the purpose of that platform being able to serve ads to those people and to you. And if you're not using the platform for something very specific and I wasn't, you know, I was just going through the motions basically. Then again, it just didn't seem to make sense to me anymore to be there.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm sure you've heard this. I've heard this many times. Thank goodness that social media and smartphones didn't exist when we were in our teenage years, whatever that. Means kids. Oh my god! You know, to yeah. high school, college, all of that, and because it's just not, you know, I I will call it out. I'll say it's not natural, or at least we grew up with it not being a natural thing that there was this accumulating digital footprint that was permanent. That every mistake that I would utter you know or live yeah. stream or you know I think it's funny at the time, you know, but at you know years later, I've grown up, and I'm not that same person that in other words our 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 digital mistakes we didn't make them and have them be you know stuck forever un you know traceable and all of that, and so in a way, you're almost creating a clean identity for yourself online in 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 an intentional way and and I think that's what kind of what you're getting at is you're keeping those things that make the most sense, it's kind of 80-20 rule applied there as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I I think we could all use a little bit of digital pruning and also, you know, whether it's archive content or the amount of time that we're spending on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis on various platforms, by pruning those things back, we just gain headspace and we gain time to be able to focus on things that we find to be more meaningful, more important, more useful to us. And so, for example, in in my case, by cutting out time that I would have been spending mindlessly scrolling on Instagram or trying to compete with people over who has the most glamorous life or whatever those pictures are supposed to do. Instead, I'm spending time on podcasts. And I find podcasts to be an incredibly useful form of conversation. It is something that I enjoy doing. I love showing up to. It's a way for me to deepen relationships with the people that I end up, you know, having these conversations with. And for me, a really important factor in this as well is that podcasting is an open medium. It relies on protocols where I can publish A feed of audio and someone else can directly subscribe to that feed without requiring a specific intermediary. And that's something that, uh, again, this is maybe a little geeky, but I hope people can understand that Facebook, Twitter and others are creating this walled garden where you have to engage through them. If I want to see what Eric published on Instagram, I have to go through Instagram to see that. Versus podcasting, I can use any podcast player I choose. And if I have your direct RSS feed, then I can subscribe to that. So podcasting, email, RSS, these are all amazing protocols that were built in the early days of the internet before most of the social media stuff existed. And they are direct as opposed to these indirect or corporate controlled mechanisms for interacting.
1: Do you have a favorite podcast player?
0: Uh, I use Overcast. Oh, good. Which,
1: That's my um, favorite. That's what I've used. Which I love. Yeah. yeah. Years. I, I Gosh, I think when it, how long ago did it come out? 2013, 14, 15, somewhere in there. Something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been on board since day one and have never looked back. And I've, you know, I've gone back and looked at the other players here and there. Pocket casts, I hear good things about. Apple Podcasts apparently just had a great update. I've looked at it. I'm like, yeah, it's still just a podcast player. Overcast. He's still killing it. I love what Marco does. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Marco Arment is is uh, somebody worth following online for sure.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine how much psychological and emotional bandwidth you've probably freed up in this process as well, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. As I said, you know, a lot of what I had written twelve years ago, or or whenever I started being very active online, a lot of that just ended up feeling like mental baggage that was out there, digital mental baggage. So that was incredibly freeing. Again, having the extra time, that was incredibly freeing as well. And then also just making a decision and moving forward, closing the door on certain things. I feel like, you know, today it's so easy to open so many doors and then just to kind of get stuck in maintaining all the things that you've said yes to. And in order to make real progress going forward, sometimes you have to, you know, consciously say no to opportunities or close down things that you are continually spending time doing. And in doing that myself, I've just had this the past six months or so since I've been going through this have been this incredible kind of feeling of rebirth and starting a new chapter. And because I have been doing this in public to my email newsletter, so many people have reached out and I just have more opportunities now than I've seen in a very long time And it's just because there's energy behind what I'm doing and people are curious about it and want to know how things are going, what I've learned from it, because I think there's this general feeling out there that maybe social media isn't so good for us, but a lot of people kind of feel beholden to it for some reason. And, you know, most likely it's because they're feeling the fear of missing out. Well, you know, I I've spent time on this platform. I have X number of followers. I can't just leave that behind because there's value there, right? There could be opportunities there, but in reality, what you've done is fallen prey to the manipulation that these platforms push upon us. They want you to feel that FOMO. They want it to be difficult for you to close your account because, you know, Facebook, for example, in order to appease their shareholders. And and I, I don't want to come off as sounding like anti-corporate <laughs> or anti-capitalist because I'm a capitalist myself. But um, in Facebook's case, it's just gotten so out of control that one platform, you know, has so much influence on so much of our political and social dialogue.
1: Yeah. That's been something that's been on my mind as well. And, and Facebook's definitely the one where I haven't closed it per se. And I, and I use it very sparingly. I'm a little bit more judicious though, about what I post there and how much time I spend there and what I do there. And, and again, I know, oh yeah, well, you know, some people are like, well, but what about let's use Instagram instead? Yeah. Well, you know, they're owned by them, right? So, (laughs) um, or
0: what's, or WhatsApp, or, you know, it's like you just go down the rabbit hole and it's like, Or when when Clubhouse was being popular a couple of months ago and people were talking about it selling out to some other company, it's just always so sad to me that we allow that concentration of power in what really is is now just this giant uh, water cooler conversation that's happening online. We just keep allowing that power to be concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. And uh, Facebook really is the one in charge right
1: now. How long has it been since you started and let's say completed this process and how's your FOMO now?
0: So let's see, I think it was maybe like eight months ago or so that I really started kicking this process off and it took a while, you know, after saying that I am going to, you know, leave social media or close my accounts or whatever, just the process of cleaning them up and then like properly closing them and so on, that took a number of months but I've been clean now for uh, several months, again, with the exception of Twitter. And I'd love to chat about that a little bit. But I have like zero FOMO on those other platforms. The the only exception is that occasionally we'll be so, for example, my wife and I live in Mexico in the winters. And when we're down there, you'll find that most businesses presence online is on Facebook and that bothers me so much for so many reasons. Obviously, Facebook is a very easy place for those people to put up a page. And there are a lot of people on Facebook and so on. But The fact that you give over your online presence to a third party just makes no sense to me. So I do find myself at a disadvantage in some cases because I'm not on Facebook and I can't just go and see when like the pizza shop is open. So I'll have to ask my wife or I got to find their phone number and give them a call, which is kind of a fun throwback to the old (laughs) days when you used to actually call people.
1: Yeah, it's old school. It's analog. I mean, we did used to have to look up numbers through the phone book, you know, and, <laughs> yep. and, and you can still go, I mean, I mean, anybody who's got at least a Facebook page, you still should be able to find the phone number on the web somewhere somehow.
0: So. Yeah. And, and you, you can, you know, and, and, and even sometimes I think when you look up something that's on Facebook, you might get a little bit of information, but you have to have an account to see
1: everything Okay, let's jump into the Twitter thing because obviously we've mentioned it twice now that you you have that. So, did you close Twitter and start a new one, or did you just kind of you know kill everything prior and keep all your followers? What was the approach there?
0: I kept Twitter. I deleted all of my old posts, and there are some tools you can use. I, I forget what I used. Maybe it was called like Tweet Delete or something. Mm-hmm where you can have it like churn in the background for a while until it deletes all of your posts. I I don't remember how many I had, but it was, you know, in the tens of thousands from 12 years or something. So I deleted all of my posts and then I announced that I was starting fresh. And from there, I have participated in Twitter I guess, sort of like I always did, which is, you know, I check in once or twice a week and and certainly I I check for direct messages or mentions or whatever and participate in conversations. But for me, that the benefit of Twitter is that a lot of the people that I care about online are there. So it's a place for me to stay connected to certain people. It also is a place for me to occasionally try out an idea before I go deeper into either creating a podcast about it or uh, writing a blog post or something like that, because, you know, you can just throw out some ideas and see how people react to it. So that can be useful as well. But, you know, the truth is I have other ways that I could do that. And we all do. I mean, you know, you could uh, text a small group of friends and ask them what they think about something you could, if you have an email list, you could always email the people on your list. I participate in in other communities that are, off of social media, like for example, the physical community that I run, I could ask those people. So just sort of talking out loud here, a lot of those things that, that I gain from Twitter, I guess I could get elsewhere. Twitter's just for some reason, the last one that I have FOMO about a friend, a mutual friend, probably Paul Jarvis, who Mm -hmm. runs Fathom Analytics. He closed his Twitter entirely recently and then came back on after a period of a month or six weeks or so. And I didn't get to hear yet what his decision process was there. But a lot of these platforms allow you to sort of go dormant and then come back if you change your mind. And that's I guess in some ways, one of the nice things about closing your accounts is you can actually try it out and see how it feels. And if you have a, a moment of freak out, you can always come back. So maybe that's my next step. Maybe I could try that with Twitter and see how it feels.
1: Yeah. I am very curious also about Paul's let's call it an experiment because obviously he, he left and came back. I am curious what his reasoning behind that was. I saw him do that and then kind of missed him. And then Although I don't know that I've seen him tweeting recently either. So I am very curious what his thought process is uh, behind that. So what, what do you think it is about Twitter specifically, though, that has you having still some of that FOMO? I mean, is it personal connections or is it people that use Twitter specifically versus other social platforms? I ask because I do feel like it's still the one that I kind of hold a favorite over all the rest. Yeah. And, you know,
0: people, a lot of people listening to this are probably like, what are they talking about? Like, I've never found use from Twitter or Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who think that Twitter is just a cesspool. And I have a, a couple of times, you know, I think my experience on Twitter is confined to a very specific subset of kinds of people. And they're very civil intellectual kinds of discussions about entrepreneurship and so on but i have experienced a little bit of the anonymous rage that you can get into when you talk about things like crypto mm. or politics and you know if if your tweet ends up being Retweeted or somehow put in front of people who have strong opinions about those things, you can just get this like really nasty conversation or just like people yelling at you or calling you nasty names or whatever for something that you said that runs counter to what they think. And that part of social media, I, I really can't stand. And so I understand that some people have an issue like that on Twitter, but I I tend to just kind of stay in my lane and talk to people that I care about. A lot of people that I actually know in person that I talk to. And then also you end up meeting connections. You know, if you let's say, you know, like 10 people and suddenly those 10 people on Twitter seem to be talking a lot to someone else it's likely that that someone else is someone that you might want to get to know as well. So it's a place that you can discover people's work and so on. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't want to come off as, as being completely anti-social media. I I recognize that there are some people who derive a tremendous amount of benefit from other platforms, even like from Instagram and so on. Uh, Some people have built entire businesses on Instagram. Some people have had their lives changed by becoming famous on TikTok or or whatever. So there are opportunities there, um, but I also see a lot of people who are always sort of teetering on burnout, both in terms of time and productivity, as well as emotional burnout from continually participating in these platforms. So I'm just trying to encourage people to think critically about where they're spending time and why and what benefits they're getting. And why we continue to show up to places if we don't feel like we're getting benefits from them.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that as Clubhouse was becoming, you know, surging in the dialogue recently, months ago, when it was really, really popular, you know, I, I opened an account. I went in. I, I took a look. I followed friends because it asked for your contacts. Um, <laughs> which again, concerning. But, uh, one of the things that then as I, as I and a few other people critical of it, kept seeing was we would go in and we'd see all these rooms to join. And these rooms were, uh, let's just be blunt, full of crap, like just crappy rooms. And I would mark them as, you know, not interested and all that kind of stuff. And everything I would say, whenever I would comment on that to the people who were really gung ho about Clumhouse, they would say, Oh no, you, you're just, you got to follow the right people and, and all that. But I'm like, I am following the right, I'm following nobody That I don't like really strongly endorse as like a human being and a person personally or that I've worked with them or whatever. Like I'm following very few people in order to turn this algorithm the right way. And it just doesn't seem to happen. Now, uh, taking that over to Twitter, that is other than, you know, you're kind of. You know, your tweet gets sent out into the ether and people start to see it and get angry about it, depending upon what it is. For the most part, though, pruning who you're following on Twitter, uh, as I think you've probably done as well as I have done, really can be a huge help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I And I've I had gone back and forth over the years about, you know, just kind of following everyone or following back everyone or whatever, and have settled on really just keeping it small so that. I can actually use it as a place to find information. I never understand people who are following like, you know, 20,000 people on Twitter, how they actually get any use from it. So I guess in that case, they're just using it as a broadcast mechanism as opposed to a place where they're actually trying to find conversations to participate
1: in. Yeah, well, and and some of the response that I get to those people when I ask that question or used to was, Well, no, I create a Twitter list. I create a real timeline. And I'm like, well, then why did you create a fake one by following everybody? Like, it's just, in other words, you've you let a fire hose in. And why? It's, you need, you know, a real feed to follow. So, yeah.
0: Maybe they have some burner account or something that they use for that. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I bet. And you know what? For the most part, I think that's probably true. There's other other ways of maybe having a, a private. And in fact, that's actually something we didn't we haven't touched on is the possibility of some of these things, uh, especially like Twitter. You can create a private account. You can create a lurker account to just go and follow and and make it private and just follow certain accounts just to maybe appease some of that FOMO without the. Let's say temptation to interact. I don't know if that's something maybe you've thought of as an option. Yeah.
0: No, I haven't. And, and, and that's interesting. You know, the other, the other thing about Twitter to me, and, and of course, you know, they have the same profit motive as, as everyone else, but they seem to care a little bit more about. The role that they play in society, just because if, you know, if you think about it, like whenever something major is announced by an individual who doesn't have a, a you know, a TV show or something, they, they tend to make that announcement on Twitter. And so it, it serves this really interesting purpose for humanity at this point. And I just think they take that a little bit more seriously. I know that Jack Dorsey had announced that they were working on a project to, open the Twitter protocols to some degree to make them because, you know, they, they may see the writing on the wall. At some point, you would imagine that there will be some sort of open social media protocol that we will all use. And I know that you know it, to some degree crypto overlaps with this a little bit. So you know, if if finance is becoming decentralized and other things, it's likely that there will be some sort of decentralized social media. And I think Twitter understands that, and they would rather participate in that than just be bowled over by it eventually.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's a good place to start. I think thinking forward into our online, you know, our digital citizenship, I guess, is is maybe a way to put it, and the way that we carry ourselves moving forward. So what have you thought about in terms of, I know that you're doing certain pieces, uh, I mean, you've done certain pieces in terms of curating what is out there from the past. You have a plan for what you're doing currently, but what about forward-looking? Like, what are you looking at in terms of, you know, focus and attention and in terms of... You know, obviously, there's there's all the different things of like turning off notifications and deleting apps off your phone. But any other kind of crossover out of the social media world into just the digital world at large that you're thinking about or definitely making steps to move forward uh, in terms of that digital, you know, footprint and or health, you know, your, your mental health, your physical health, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for this because I, I know that focus is, you know, constantly an issue and and we only have so many hours in a day to actually get good work done. I, I feel like I'm generally happy if I get like, you know, two Maybe three things done in a day, and I kind of try to avoid having long to-do lists because they just make me feel guilty, as opposed to mm-hmm. <laughs> helping me get things done. And um, maybe this is, you know, a, a question for you. I don't know, since since you're into productivity and have focused on it for a long time, is it better to pursue multiple projects because? It's easy to get excited about them and, and, um, to keep your motivation levels high when you're kind of switching between projects or is it better just to focus on one? You know, you see people, you think about like the Elon Musk model. He seems to have, obviously he has Starlink, he has like Tesla, he has SpaceX, he has these other things like boring tunnels under cities and (laughs) all these random projects. And he seems to pull them off somehow all at once. And then you see other people who really just dive in and focus on one thing for a good chunk of their career. Do you have any like sense of which is a better approach? And is it like a, a personality-based thing or is there one size fits all?
1: I think that my initial response to this is it's kind of like how some people have multiple books that they're reading concurrently. And, you know, so it, it depends on what your mood is. Uh, in fact, even people do this with like TV shows. Like there are times where I want to sit down and I want to turn my brain off, so to speak, and just watch something. But I'm not going to sit down and watch like some serious, critically acclaimed movie or TV show. I want something funny. I want a 20-minute comedy, you know. And so having different things in the mix at the same time for different modes or moods is kind of my initial kind of, it's my gut reaction to that question. Yeah. But I think there's also something to be said for having consistent progress in the same direction on a singular project. But again, I, I think it's really going to matter, you know, what kind of bandwidth do you have? What kind of different, um, you know, roles or hats do you have right now? So, and what season is it for you time of year, but also time of life. And yeah. so I, I think those are all, you know, so there's not one quick, easy answer here, but I think, you know, and, and, you know, you bring up Elon, I think that he can make it look easy, but I also think at what cost. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I find that uh if I have multiple projects going on, I can sometimes use. That as an excuse not to do the things that I don't really feel like doing on a particular project, because there's always going to be something that's more fun or interesting to work on at the time when you have a lot of different options. So that that can be a crutch. But I've also found recently that by siloing specific days to work on certain projects, that has helped me to stay a little bit focused so that at least I know that, you know, one day a week I'm going to have time. To turn my attention to this project and I can't just push it off for weeks at a time.
1: Yes. And I think that's another great way to put it is that having those silos means that you've not got three or four straight days of the same project. Although that may be necessary at some points, but for the most part, you've then got variety. And I, and I do think this is maybe a personal decision in some aspects. Some people would say, no, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to work on this one project for an entire week. And that's their catnip. But for me, I think I'm much more like you where I would say, no, if I can spend this one day on this one thing and move it as far forward or even, you know, set a certain, I don't know, line in the sand for it that day. And if I get there earlier, great. The rest of the day is free or something like that. Exactly. So... Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely an interesting take. I love that, uh, we're, we're discussing this, we're thinking about this. I think that there's. There's more room out there for people to be more nuanced in this kind of a discussion and not be, you know, one side or the other of the pendulum when they're all in on social media without thinking about it intentionally, or they're saying, I'm going to become a a secondhand Luddite and just turn everything off without fully thinking it through. I, I love being in this kind of middle ground. I'm a little more of a, I'm going to hold on to stuff a little longer maybe than you are, but I've definitely thought through this process, like you have, so I've, I was very interested in talking to you about this. I, I, I will say, have you had any people, maybe really close in your life, that have objected to this, and and what have the, been their objections?
0: Um, you know, I haven't heard a whole lot of objections. I've, I've definitely heard questions and concerns. I'd say the biggest thing is, you know, if if I run a business, especially you know an online business how will I make up for not being on social media? You know, where will I find customers if I'm not participating in those places? And, um, you know, that that's certainly a concern if you are currently using social media to find a lot of customers. And some people do, obviously. Some people have huge followings on certain platforms and they get a lot of traffic and uh, interest from that. So that would be a concern for sure. And some of those people probably have the most to gain and the most to lose from leaving social media or from reconsidering how they're using it just because, you know, if, if you have a large following and you're using it to attract customers, you probably are spending a lot of time on it and you're probably feeling a little burned out by it. So that's a tough situation to be in, but you know, you can turn your attention and start investing in, in some more open protocols. Again, like email is a great open protocol and a great source of, you know, customers. If, if you build an email list, podcasting, you know, uh, writing blog, posts, all those sorts of things can can be very valuable, but it takes a, a big investment of time. However, if you've built up a following on one particular platform, you can use that following or you can try to direct that following to a different channel and continue the conversation there, a channel that maybe leaves you with less stress or emotional baggage or whatever it is that you're trying to get away from. So, you know, for example, if if you have a big Instagram following, you could try to direct those people over to email or you could try to send them to a YouTube channel or whatever it is that you feel like you want to spend more time on. And that's the beauty of building a following anywhere is that a lot of times you can use it almost like, a, you know, a match to light a second match. And um, a lot of the hard work has been done already just because you have a following. So th- that's great. And and I think it's just smart Smart business practice, smart in general to try to push that conversation to channels that you own. Because as we all have seen plenty of times, the social media. Platforms can decide to change the rules on you at some point, and they might decide that, for example, when you post something, not everyone who follows you is going to see it, or maybe you have to pay to boost that post to get it in front of everyone, or maybe they decide that, you know, they are going to censor you because of something that you're talking about. There are all kinds of things that can happen with allowing your conversations to be owned by a third party. So push them somewhere else. And and uh, when when you do push them somewhere else, just be really thoughtful about the platform that you're planning to use more and make sure it's something that you feel like you can feel good about maintaining for the long haul.
1: Well, and I think this is a good segue to say that you've been running something for a very long time platform-wise in Fizzle, and and you've kind of reinvented it as Fizzle 2.0 recently. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the mission behind that and what that has to offer people.
0: Yeah. So Fizzle is a community and uh, video training library for entrepreneurs that we launched in 2013. So it's eight years old. And, um, it was started by myself and uh, Chase Reeves and Caleb Logic. and Fizzle has served tens of thousands, I think like twenty six thousand if we look and see how many people have had an account at one point or another over the years. And you know, this is for me new territory because I had never worked in a job for this long before, eight, nine years. Uh, I think the longest. Stint I had had in my career in the past was maybe close to five years. So after a certain amount of time, I'm just in uncharted territory. I, I don't know what it's like to stay dedicated uh, and committed to one project for this long. And it can, you know, start to feel a little stale after a while. And so I decided to double down and recommit to it and completely refresh fizzle in terms of the content in terms of the design, in terms of the live events that we're holding, and really just change things up and and try to infuse it with new energy so that I'm more interested, so that our existing customers are more interested, and so that we can attract new customers as well. And I think this is just part of the process. It's, it's part of what all of us should expect to be necessary after a certain amount of time maintaining and running something. And I see this a lot now because I've been, you know, Uh, online for 12 years. I've been an entrepreneur since 2004. So coming up, I guess, on 17 years. So a lot of people that I know have been running projects for a very long time. A lot of people started podcasts, you know, five or eight years ago or something like that. And it's just natural to Need to refresh. It's sort of like you know, if you've been married for a long time, you might need to renew your vows, or uh, or talk to a counselor, or just try to see things in new light to keep things fresh and interesting and engaging. And the same is true of of projects. So it's been fun refreshing it. And uh, I encourage anybody who's been running anything for more than you know, maybe three or four years, if it's starting to feel like you're not sure how you feel about it anymore or what the future might hold, just Try to look at it with fresh eyes and imagine what it could be instead of what it is, and then make a plan for for recommitting and and refreshing it.
1: Yeah, renegotiate that relationship, whatever relationship it is. That's It's <laughs> exactly, essentially what exactly. we've been talking about, right? Is this just renegotiating the relationships that we have and and being intentional with them instead of just you know a passive and assuming some, a something. A something is not a word. And assuming, Assumpting. yeah, <laughs> yes, with them so, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Corbett, it's been great talking with you, and I'd love to direct people to Fizzle. I'll make sure to link that up in the show notes, but where can people connect with you on Twitter as well as uh, with Fizzle?
0: Yeah, so Fizzle is over at fizzle.co.co. My personal blog is over at corbettbar.com, and on Twitter, I am at Corbett Bar
1: awesome. I will make sure to link up all of those in the show notes. And uh, it's been great talking with you. Hopefully we will touch back again further down in this conversation sometime in the near future to, to see where we're at with this ongoing dialogue.
0: That sounds great. Thanks so much for having me on, Eric.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Corbett Barr. I know that I really enjoyed connecting with him and talking through this online digital presence thing. I mean, it's it's just not something somebody in the past had to worry about that anything at any point in time you either intentionally or unintentionally posted or curated or created just that it would have this lasting digital footprint. As many of us have said, we're glad we did not grow up with social media, but that doesn't mean we don't have to deal with it these days. And we're not talking just social media. We're talking all digital presence. So, but I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you got something out of it. I hope that you started to think on that macro level of what your reputation is online, what you're known for, what your activity is like, how you carry yourself, what you want your lasting legacy to be, even if it's digital. If you found this conversation thoughtful, helpful, encouraging. I would love it if you would do me the favor of sharing this episode with somebody that needs to hear it. You can do that by hitting the share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this right now, or head on over to the show notes at com and hitting the share button there. Thanks again for sharing. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode.